Hey, welcome to another episode of Sky Sessions with Sidus, Just Add Bacon, and myself, Blank Candle. We're in a nice week between patches, so we have a nice little conversation about the meta, how we've been feeling about it since the hot patch went live, and what the new cards have made uh, decks shake up into. How have you guys been doing? How's the week of gaming been, Bacon? Uh, it's been pretty alright. I got home from college, so, you know, I'm not doing classes anymore. But, uh, I've been busy with a lot of other things. Uh, mostly I've been testing all kinds of wacky stuff. I kinda memed my way into Grand Weaver. I'm not even sure what exactly I did it with. But, uh, I'm kinda just floating around, playing whatever. Sounds like fun. What about you, Cyrus? What are you playing? Okay, so, uh, there are a lot of cards to test. So I don't have the, uh, I don't have enough time in just one week. So when I do, I I tried uh, the Anima Mira that we mentioned last episode, and I also test new uh, Horizon and also Mono Sanya since uh, we got a lot of different card buffs in agility, and <clears throat> I I I have to, I've been running into very different heroes during my. Uh, 100-ish games, so I would say uh, maybe it's because everyone is experimenting experimenting with new cards, but the meta seems pretty diverse right now, comparing to the last patch. So the game has been pretty enjoyable for me. What have you been seeing up in Grand Weaver, uh, Bacon? What does the meta look like to you? Uh, let me check my most recent games. I'd say I've seen a lot of people complaining about Iris. And I feel like Iris is really strong, but somehow I've gotten lucky and I haven't queued into her a lot. Uh, most of my stuff is like a... I've got orcs, a lot of foxes, and a couple of banjos here and there. Yeah, I was personally wow. seeing quite a bit of Iris. I guess the yeah. Tyrone is uh, really different, because in my Tyrone, I think the most popular hero is actually Mira. I do run into a few iris, but they are not even uh, as half as much as the Mira I ran into. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've got like a few Mira here and there, but not really that many. Which is strange, because I also feel like Mira is really freaking strong. Like, I would put it out like Iris and Mira. I wouldn't really have Fox in the equation for S-tier decks right now. Yeah. Would you say that the mirror you're seeing, Cytus, is mostly anima, or are you seeing a lot of metal or water? Uh, I'm seeing more metal than uh, anima. And I even see uh, there are some metal players trying the new Dracomantian, but uh, I would say <laughs> <laughs> the Dracomantian is really not as powerful as I imagine. It's kind no. of a sad card. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that later in the uh, podcast. I spent a lot of time on Dracomantheon, man. Ooh, that's a whole discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what have you been praying, Frank Hendo? Um, I unfortunately have had like an insanely busy week. I had a product go to launch and um, stuff went haywire. It was been fun, but I've been uh, not able to play a whole lot this week, unfortunately. Uh, when I was oh. playing, I um, got some Grave City. I played around with that, tried some different variations. 
I had some success the first day I played it. I, I think I went on a huge run, but um, it's not uh, unbearable. Fireball is a lot better. I would say Fireball is quite the improvement. There's a good amount of dusting in the uh, meta. Uh, I think it's viable. I think it's a viable deck. It's just um, has some matchups where it just does really poorly. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of a fundamental problem with any of those grave-based decks, like be it City Death or Dig or anything, that it's very easy to tech against that. Yeah, dusting is prevalent in the game, and... You know, you have to just accept that Destiny is going to happen and try and find creative ways to get around it, like waiting until you can double something or waiting until you can soul forge it or waiting until you have casting chrome to give something lead. Um, if you know you're against a deck that's most likely holding dusting cards and having the right cards to, you know, kill Righteous or to parry... Um, whatever dusting they have. But some decks just run a lot of it. Some decks, I, I run into decks that are specifically dust decks when I'm playing Grave City, and I'm like, what What else do you want to beat with this deck? Are you Are you here just because I'm here? That's it, Handle. <laughs> They've actually been paid off by a, like an international conglomerate just to harass you. Well, yeah. Yeah, if go you ahead. play into if you play into a lot of virus, maybe it's just a coincidence because uh, there are a lot of dusting cards that in in their prison, I'm, which I'm, is just it, which is just good cards. I'm talking specifically about banjo. Oh, banjo. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a oh. version of banjo that exists that every dusting card is in, and I only run into it when I'm playing Grave City, and I only run into it every once in a while, but it, it seems like the deck is really bad. But when I have only seven units and they dust all seven plus an extra three I created. It's just weird. It's just bizarre. Huh. I mean, uh, Eradicate and Eradicate is a good card and Encapsulate is a good card. If you if they run something like Lost in the Fog, I, I will admit it's pretty it, crazy. It has Lost in the Fog in it for sure. It's got even um, Frog King in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like... Not... Are you sure this isn't just like a removal pile exhaust deck that just runs every piece of removal it can find? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean the whole point is removal, but it uh, it has like encapsulated in it, of course, and lost in the fog, and um, you know eradicates and frogs and um, fire. Uh, burn to a crisp and it's just if if they want to intelligence and wisdom combined can can dust everything you have yeah but i have to mention that uh the removal banjo will run all of the card you mentioned because they are just trying to be annoying <laughs> and, and then they play and then they play iron mask and mix wish do you remember that we have some discussion about the new Manlong Wish in last episode? Uh-huh. I, I yeah. actually tested it with what my friend and the the play experience is awful. <laughs> like uh we both built our deck very removal heavy and we are just waiting to play the uh Tongola Mixalatron Manlong Wish stuff and the game is just nothing survived on the board for one turn. 
See, so. I actually, I built my own version. I took it onto ladder, and I had a fantastic time with it. <laughs> I guess this is because you are not playing against another banjo. Yeah, that that was your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, should probably mention it for like anybody who didn't cast catch uh, last week's episode. Mengalong's wish got moved down to two cost, and Asidus was very quick to point out anything being at two is really dangerous because that means that you can copy it with Tome Golem. So we put together a banjo deck that runs Magnanimous to send Mengalong's wish to a uh, one cost. So then you play Mixolatron, uh, Tome Golem, Mengalong's wish and you just play Mengelong's Wish twice. And, you know, it conjures your most expensive spells into your deck, which uh, puts a lot of very big, expensive, wacky things in there. Like, you get a zero-cost Iron Mask, guaranteed. Uh, you'll always draw a Deep Sea Serpent, which will be zero-cost after you play the Iron Mask. Well, the Iron Mask won't be zero-cost guaranteed, but, like, you'll build the deck in such a way that it'll be zero-cost guaranteed. You also get a big friend, and if you're smart, you can get that down to zero cost before we start. And then from there, you've just got all kinds of other things. It, uh, it is very big. It's very clunky. I don't know how I did well with it on ladder, but I did. But uh, the deck link will be in the uh, podcast description. I highly recommend people try it just to see the monstrosity. What do you guys think the best cards that came out of this change are that you've been playing against so far? Or with? Ooh. Honestly, this is supremely biased. But I really love the uh, new Temple Watch. I really like the Heart Prism. Like, I, I like to play mid-range style things. And Temple Watch now is just kind of like this chunky, stable, safe unit that is always going to do something good for me. Like, even if it eats dusting, it trades favorably into most dusting options. Eradicate, it's only minus one on tempo. Lightning Vial, it's minus one, but they also have to punch it or trade a drone or something. And, like, that is a great way to get my opponent's dusting out of the way. And then there's all these other, like, combos you can do with it. Like, if you have Scarabot on bottom, you can Temple Watch into Scarabot, and then Scarabot can redraw the Temple Watch, which can redraw the Scarabot. <laughs> So for me, I have three uh, potential best cards, and two of them are played by myself, and one one of them are usually on my opponent side. So I think the Great Gusto is really, really good right now, because uh, not only he is just a hard removal to anything, but also uh, the 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 body is a lot more threatening right now, and you can usually deal a lot of damage or force a really big card from your opponent. Like uh, even Seal of Dawn will not completely kill it right now. And I play it in my Monosanya decks and it, it just performed very, very well. And another card uh, is that uh, uh, we, we discussed this one in the last episode a lot and it is actually Rumble. And I used it in my uh, special version, uh, Mira Anima, which I run a lot of street coast unit. So uh, after you play Amalu as well, uh, if you cast Synchron into Rumble, it's just a grouping 6-8 uh, with God, uh, which at worst will be summoning a 6-6 six, six with God for you after the death effect got triggered. Just for the record, the street coast unit I run in this deck is uh, Sonic Jammer, 
and uh, the Trevor Keeper, and also there is a 3-3 which will attack Chen to himself, but I'm not sure. How guys? Uh, yes, how guys. Yeah, I, I, I run this 3 unit, and all of them are very good at protecting your hero, so even in some uh, extreme matchup against very, very aggressive decks, and uh, if you want to play Amaruas well early on, you probably will be losing tempo against your opponent. Like, uh, I play against something like Hyper Fox or uh, Horish Swan, and they just have a huge ball down turn 4, and, and then on turn 5, I, I just cast Synchron into Rumble, and they, they collapse. Uh, so the Ring Rumble <laughs> is very, very good. It's just a very beefy state. And the last card, I think, is among the strongest. It's actually Earth Golden, which uh, Handel talk about talk a bit about it in the last episode. And it is kind of similar to uh, Rumble, actually, because this, this actually provides a lot of protection for your hero in Death, Death City. And since it, 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 it didn't dust itself, you can use it uh, multiple times. So these three are the cards that I think is most flexible while powerful in the Guru meta. Um, yeah, I do find Earth Golem has definitely been helpful and really good. I like the options it gives you. Um, and also I found, like I said before, um, Jar Souls is just incredible. Never got a chance to play with the four cost. Uh, Festival Cannon, which I talked a lot about in the last episode of how much forecast Festival Cannon was going to change Death City, uh, but it never never even showed up, so that hasn't been something I've been able to test. Yeah, just really quickly, big plus one to Rumbo and Earth Golem. These, those two cards are amazing, and they really make a Warwick play a lot better because he has like much beefier options, and they're nice. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the deck. Uh, what is the deck you have been playing this week, Bacon? Uh So I've been playing a ton, but uh, if I have to spotlight Lon, I rebuilt the uh, old like Coric Light decks, and uh, I've been like swimming in Grand Weaver with this. Like I've been playing a ton of games, and like I'm still here. The deck is good. It is enjoyable, and it does some very cool things. So. Uh, Probably like a year ago, I think it was like about after the game launched, people put together a Horak deck that was running Glorious Man with uh, light units. Uh, at the time, like there were some cards that were a bit stronger, like a Light Knight used to have armor, Avatar of Light used to have armor, and uh, you know, the game was a bit new too. So uh, people were running that, and it was like pretty good and successful until it got nerfed. Over like quite a few patches now, the deck has slowly been getting cards that like really contribute to it, but nobody has really noticed, because not that many people experiment. So what all does Light Horic have now? Well of course like it has Glorious Mane, it has a buffed Temple Watch, which was actually what got me to go look at this deck again, but it also has Nurtured Bond, Hugeify, Stand as One, Scarabot, Hexed Surret, which by the way, amazing card, uh, where else are we, Soul Drain, Tireless Iteration, and rags to return. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it has like 10 new cards that all support it and all come from like more recent patches. Which, uh, if you just knew that these were cards that were released more recently and that was all the information you're working with, that should already be a good indicator because newer cards on average just tend to be a little bit stronger. 
But, uh, I digress a bit. The deck is very, like, mid-rangey. It has a bunch of, like, very cheap units. It floats out stuff, and it has, like, very nice stat lines on units like Halcyon, Light Knight, Sidekick, Temple Watch, and all of that. And then on top, you know, we have, like, Stand as One, Cause Wrath, Pharaonis. And you can just keep vomiting board onto people. It's really cool. I highly recommend that people uh play it. I'd love to try it out. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I've actually got a... Uh, it should be out by the time that this podcast drops, but I have a bacon bit on mid-range tomorrow that's, like, dropping. And I actually put the deck string in there just because, like, I want people to play this deck so much. It's so fun. Hey, you should put my uh, special Mira Amina as well. No. It's one of the best mid-range deck in the game. Nope. Why? <laughs> Normally, Not I don't cool. put any deck strings in my articles. Cause, uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Well, th this one is a special exception. It's not meta, but it's very cool. Okay. I'll play your deck, Cyrus. I'll play it on stream and talk about how uh, other podcasters won't promote your hard work. <laughs> okay, so uh, since I brought up the Mira Anima, I will try to introduce it a bit more before going into other decks. Uh, so uh, I tried to run this new version of Mira Anima after patch 114. And uh, some key difference is that uh, I, I run Sonic Signal and Honing Hong right now. And for obvious reason, uh, uh, in current setup, I cannot run Aris Insight to tutor Amaru as well. So I tutor it with Sonic Signal instead. And uh, Holding Home is also a new card that when I first created this special version Anima Mira, it doesn't exist. But it turned out it's a super powerful play uh, in this deck as well. So just imagine uh, if I am going second and first turn I coin into Sonic Signal into Amaru as well. And second turn I just play Holding Home for three and then I summon something like a 4-7 Trevor Keeper. So I, I necessarily I necessarily just play my key card and without almost without losing any tempo because uh you spend six mana to summon a four seven unit with Amira uh, uh, with Anima it's it's not the best but it's a very acceptable play since you have already give all the units in your deck Amira uh, so if I pro this combo is actually pretty strong and. If I don't draw Holding Home early in the game, of course, we also run Enigma Golden, which will uh, draw us Mass Confuse because I don't run Teleport in this deck. And Mass Confuse is only, only my spell in the deck. So if I play Holding Home into Enigma Golden, it's basically a 10-12 with God, uh, and, and it will almost certainly kill the upside board with the Mass Confuse. And... <clears throat> And, and of course we run cast rest, so we already see a lot of high cost card in this deck. So of course we can run some options like uh, Esther Lemuel and the Hex Tree Folk in this deck. And it's probably the the decks that look almost like the ide uh, ideal mid range deck since the release of Sky River. So I I have been enjoying it uh, in the last week. I, I don't I actually don't didn't play a lot of games with this deck because uh with only like twenty games I, I already 
uh, I already saw this is a very, very stable mid-range deck and it does not require uh, further testing. So I switched to other deck, but I still like to mention it here and maybe I will attach the deck train in the description of episode so you guys can try it out. It's actually a very, very stable mid-range deck to play. No. What? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we do it on the podcast. Funny joke. Okay. <laughs> Did a laugh. Well, if you don't do it, it actually the the loss of all the Skyward players for not seeing such a beautiful deck. You know, something tells <laughs> me that that is not how that works. They just play against you, Sidus, and they automatically copy whatever deck you're playing. <laughs> True. What about you, Handel? What all have you been playing? Well, besides the Grave City, I was just playing Iris uh, myself. Uh, it's super strong. It's got so many tools. It can get out of any situation. It can take advantage of any situation. It's got heavy hitters that you can all you can play them all in one turn, and kind of overwhelm the situation. And it's very versatile. I don't think it's like broken like it was before. I think it's maybe too strong, but I don't think it's like broken like it was before. Um, that I, I screwed around with that for a bit. I. Uh, I don't feel bad playing it like I do really, really good decks, but I think it is probably the strongest deck that I've played in a while. Um, if you want me to go into details about what makes it, uh, you know, still a lot of things, not a lot of things have changed. The newest version doesn't have Scarred Servitor in it anymore, but it runs things like Abyss Lion, Windland Biker. Um, it runs Fox Familiar, but you try and get that out of um, Spirit. Oh, what's the one? Supersonic? Super, out of Supersonic. And then he tries to get the uh, uh, flame, uh, Titan, uh, Vampire Titan out uh, with the Woodland Biker. Hopefully gives Abyss Lion the dash. Maybe Mang Long, which it runs. Mang Long, by the end of the game, is two or three. And then your Soul Fire Titan is zero. You're playing those. You can also throw in, like... Signet Secrets, or you can all you have Righteous in there for Dusting as well as Lightning Vial. So it it's adaptable to have counters for every type of deck that it goes against, and if played correctly, can beat any kind of deck. Yeah. Hmm. So that's the Rainbow version of Iris. And just in case you guys don't know, because I think uh, you don't have to, to time to play in Conquest this week, uh, there are actually another variation of Iris which is Air Iris, and uh, I believe it's created by Fang Lei, and it's pretty popular among the Chinese community. So uh, basically, this is a really uh, low-curve Iris deck that focusing on pushing damage and seal again with some uh, endgame combo like Fragmentage. Uh, the only high-cost card this deck runs is actually Wukin Scrapper and Great Gusto. Uh, both of them are have the great potential to deal the finisher damage and they also run double head in the crowd and a bunch of good early removal so they can just operate uh, the course of their card du during the game and usually the game will end on turn 7 or turn 8 uh, when they will possibly be uh, able to play their combo and um I checked a few of their replay, and it seems like a very uh, versatile deck to play. 
it have some vibes of, of the old Zoizu, which you have a lot of uh, different choices as removal. For example, they run Swan Singer and Pair of Jacks. So, and, and also, of course, Lighting Wildfire run. And also, I have to mention Skyfire Master is pretty awesome in this deck because after you get uh, your Swan Singer set up or or you have pair of jack in your starting hand, Skyfire Master is just crazy in this deck. I think Bacon will love it. Yeah, Skyfire Master is very cool with all the bees and such. Yeah. Like if you run the Supersonic Fox Familiar combo and uh, you, you successfully successfully play Fox Familiar before you play Swan Sinner, then you are guaranteeing that all the one cost you need in your deck is actually uh, the yellow jacks. So uh, since Skyfire Master have Supersonic as the attachment spell, it really generate a lot of value if you play it uh, after you have a, uh, you have en enough mana, starting from six mana. Like if you play yeah. a single Supersonic into yellow jacks, you are already happy. But you, if you are able to play two or even three, it's gigantic value. Consider that Skyfire Master is just a three coast card, and you Dude, can you keep are those... talking Heatwave like staples. <laughs> <laughs> With two is head it... in the clouds, it's probably really easy to get those yellow jackets at zero cost too, and use them for combo purposes. Yeah, I think you can even try to do some OTK wonky stuff with zero cost yellow jack plus Skyfire Master. Yeah, let. You can do a lot of different things with the deck. It's very flexible. And talking about this deck, uh, after seeing a couple of replay that found the send to the Chinese community, I actually think the deck is possibly too strong. So uh, as a players that cared about the gaining experience of my opponent, Myself, uh, I tried not to run the best deck in the meta, so uh, I tried to cut all the wisdom cards in this Iris deck and made my Mono Sanya air decks, and <laughs> it, it actually provide it actually performed uh surprisingly well. Like uh, the real thing I lose is possibly only the double head in the crowd, because uh this Iris deck run. 27 agility cards and only three wisdom cards, which is Giza, Birth, and Sun Petal, which is all uh, pretty crucial for the genetic game plan of this deck. So uh, if you run Sunyard, you kind of lose the access, access to this card, but, but you also have more chances to draw uh, Swan Sinner, which is a really a important card in this deck early on so you can set up your yellow jack uh, more reliably i think the more uh the biggest problem about swan singer is that you don't really have a good way to tutor it in iris uh if you run something like uh mira or fox you can maybe try to use some key cards to tutor it such as casting Kron and holding home but even so, you still lose a lot of potential because you cannot run any other 3-cost units. So that means 
uh, you have to say bye bye to songwriter, Gail, Lao Sensei, Skyfire Master, and such. So, um, running Sanya actually make uh, make sense to a certain degree because uh, you only have twenty five cards in your deck. So uh, that means a lot more chance to draw swans in the uh, in your opening hand and also in the early turns. So I test the deck and I think it's is fully playable on Grand River Rank. Not maybe not in Conquest, but still. Uh, it has its. You usually see decent play, even against the best deck in the meta, such as Iris and Miwa. So, uh, uh, this also brings another concern for me, uh, because we know we are introducing hero ability this year, right? And in my opinion, uh, Sun Mono decks uh, is already pretty decent, uh, even in the Grand World. Uh, Grand River, which is the highest highest rank on the ladder, and after they introduce hero ability for mono prison, I think this mono deck can be uh, can even be superior comparing to dual prison. What's your guys thought on this manner? Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of when you're saying you know you run only three cards from Wisdom, and although they are all great cards, it's just a if they want to balance mono prism decks, they're going to try and make more powerful hero powers. And if they make more powerful hero powers, all of a sudden, you know, we flip flop back and we're like, well, you know, this hero powers power is better than these three cards. So I'm going to go that direction. And it does leave things open. And I think all the hero powers on all the heroes are going to leave things open to, you know, slight advantages that turn into big win percentages. Yeah. So, I mean, the fundamental question is going to be, all right, so think of, I'm going to get like very nerdy here. Well, I mean, we're on a podcast for card games. So I'm not going to worry too much about it, but uh, imagine that we are trying to calculate your odds before the game starts of victory. We are going to basically make a model where we're going to assign victory as being either a one or zero. And uh, we'll just do that to keep things simple. And then we're going to have all these different variables that are going to affect how likely you are to win. We might say that one of these variables is player skill, another one is the cards in the deck, another one is the cards that you draw, another one is like knowledge players have about each other, each other's decks, each other's prisms, ways that cards interact, so on and so forth. All that hero abilities fundamentally do is they add one more dependent or I shouldn't say it that way, they add one more independent variable to what actually determines the outcome of the game. So whenever you're talking about the difference between like a dual prism or a modern prism of hero ability, really you're just asking which of these coefficients is going to be greater. Is the hero ability going to be greater or is the uh, actual dual prism? Because even if you only run three cards from a certain prism, I'd like to point out that this game still does not have... Uh, deck preview or anything so your opponent has no clue about that fact anytime you queue into a wisdom player they could always be running any wisdom card and if they are iris they could be any wisdom card or any agility card which means that your opponent has to deal with a lot more volatility and what you could be handling that's an unseen like advantage that dual prisms have over mono prisms because you know anytime you go into like a mono ada you know for certain all right they're just going to jam these certain strength cards but I know for certain that they don't, like, have Encapsulate or anything. 
even if you queue into a mirror deck and they only run strength cards, you don't really know that until at least like halfway through the game, if ever. So you still have to consider the whole time, all right, they could have Encapsulate, they could have Mass Confuse, I don't know. And I think that hero abilities are going to have to be decently beefy to actually get around that uh, information advantage that a dual prism deck has over a monoprism. Like, I mean, it depends, of course, on, like, just how good those abilities are. If it's, like, if there's a one-mana deal three to something, of course that hero ability is going to be cracked. But, uh, you know, if they're just kind of, eh, then there's a lot of hidden advantages to dual prisms I don't think people will recognize. Aiken is using a very sneaky way to force the dev to implement public dextering into the game. <laughs> Hon honest to God, okay, like I don't think that uh, all of that random guessing variability should really be a component in deciding who wins the match. I just don't think it should be. Because like that's not how we do our tournaments. Like You know what your opponent has, and I feel like the games are a lot better there. But uh, I'm I'm aware I'm a radical on this front. I'm a uh, I'm not representative of the general player base and so on and so forth. Yeah, I I actually agree with you. Uh, but as we discussed several times in the podcast, uh, you have to find an elegant way to implement it into the game, because not all the player is a tournament kind of players, and some players like element of surprise. <clears throat> but yeah, oh, yeah, but like that's. Uh, to use, I've got a friend who does aerospace, to use his wording, like, that's just an engineering problem. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, we know what we want at that point, it's just a matter of how do we effectuate it. I don't know, I do like some sneakiness, and I'm surprised as deck builders, both yourself, you don't appreciate the fact that someone built a deck... Or there's a very popular meta deck that's got 15 cards in common with you or 25 cards in common with you. And when you pull out one of the five tech choices you made, it has more impact because they weren't expecting it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and there's all kinds of... Like, especially, like, the higher levels of play, like, the actual mind games you play for your opponent, they get a lot more involved. And having, like, two prisms to consider also magnet or multiplies how many things you have to consider... No think, only playing, uh, smork. Dude, the other day I was playing somebody who, uh, I was playing, like, with Light Horc or whatever, and one of the nasty things Light Horc has that, uh, is really good is, uh, Rags Returned. He's, like, this little one-mana 2-1 with Stealth and Lifesteal. Very frail unit. Very good with a lot of cards in the deck, like Tireless, Tireless Iteration. And also, Hugeify, which, uh, if you don't know in the crowd, is a six-mana spell. It sets a target unit to 8-8 and gives it dash, which means that if my opponent does something like innocuous, uh, like, I don't know, kills my Vanessa, Vanessa will summon my top dead 2-cost unit and also summon rags, and if they don't kill both of those, I can just convert my rags into a 8-8 with dash. I was playing somebody, uh, he's actually, like, he just joined the game, but, like, I think he's really innovative because he's already, like, making, it's like, hmm, what if I build decks? that are only using a single element, which is entirely insane, but I love it. He was playing a pure water banjo deck. I managed to set up a, like, well, I pull off a setup to get Hugeify off. And we'd played one game before, and in the previous game, I won because I was able to run him over with a surprise Hugeify for eight points of face damage that he uh, 
was not expecting. Not even just like the next game. I have the same setup, I think, oh, he just fell for it twice. Uh, no, the monster just whips out a freaking Nessie, bounces the unit to my hand, it wasn't a Karu, so now it's just like a worthless 1-2, <laughs> and I actually end up losing the game because of the tempo loss on that play, but like, those are the mind games that you see with like, good players, and that's like, really fun and exciting. Uh, to tie this back to things, my opponent would have been able to do that in the first game, had he known that, like, I had Hugeify, because, like, clearly, like, he's an intelligent player, he understands, like, oh yeah, bounce mechanics, be wary of the setup, like, he only saw it once, and he knew to watch out for it, but, uh, I don't know, I feel like those kinds of plays, like, they really make the game exciting. That's yeah. actually a very good example of the, uh, mind process of, uh, very good card game players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the record, I did I did lose the second game. It was very close, but uh, I don't mind at all because like it was really fun. Yeah, actually, considering the fact that regular return have light steel, I think huge five suddenly become a really really good card in in the horrors like you just described. Uh, because oh, we don't we, we do not have a lot of uh life steal resources in this kind of mid range deck and. Sometimes, uh, especially consider the fact that Longboy is super popular in Cure Meta, having the potential to uh, suddenly deliver a eight lifesteal damage to your opponent is, it's just awesome. Yeah, lifesteal is actually one of the biggest reasons why I enjoy Light Horic and why I think it does very well in the current meta. Because the current meta is very like. I know that like some people have very strong disagreement with me on this, but I feel like the current meta really rewards just pure aggression and burn effects, which is why all of these Iris decks that are running around have like Norsu speed boots now, because you know it just bounces your board and does 12 damage to face. They have enough draw power that they can suffer having a minus two in hand, but uh, they just have to get you down to like 13 health, and then you know they can play a 12 mana combo, and you just lose. But uh. I see. <laughs> yeah, but you have in Horic Light a deck that has a lot of cheap units with good stats, and if they don't have good stats, then like they have floating effects. So they just replace themselves. You can't answer them just by bonking them away. And at the same time, it has a great suite of like bulky lifesteal units, like Temple Watch, Hexurit, Vanessa. Even Eclipse is actually good in this deck because we have a ton of buffing from like Tireless Iteration and Surret. And you put all that together, they lose board once and suddenly I convert an extra 8 points of health while beating their face down. It's very hard for a lot of decks in the meta to actually come back from that because I still have all my units. Like I didn't really spend resources to gain 8 health, I just beat you on board and I gained health as a side effect. So now you still have to spend all your Reese's resources to reclaim board, but I've also undone all the damage that you pelted my face with. And now it's later in the game, so now I get to play Standus 1, or Cosraf, or Pharaonis. Yeah. So, talking about Horik, uh, uh, we mentioned that Meshran was broken in last episode, and then the dev <laughs> quickly fixed the problem. And uh, the new Meshran is still a little different from, from the old one. So uh, its effect uh, now read that death, this game, this unit has plus one, plus one. If it's in your grave, return it to your deck. 
Uh, so uh, this has some different interaction with the uh, when comparing uh, with the version before patch 1.14. So before this change, if you play something like Molten Heart on your Mechtron, uh, you will just kill it because uh, before before patch 1.14, uh, its, its text does not have the if it's in your grave, return it to deck part. Uh, it will always return it to your deck regardless of where Mechtron is uh, at the moment. So uh, it means right now you can actually play uh, something like Molten Heart and Rebirth onto your Meshran and it will just buff its state. It will not put it back to your deck. So that means you have more options to uh, feed your Meshran while keeping your board presence and that that probably uh, in in uh, in me to play Meshran uh, and I, I actually play it in Horvig and uh, it's a mix be between a pure Meshran deck and a Dig deck. Yeah, even so, uh, when <laughs> before we start this this episode of podcast, I show my deck train to Bacon, and he just completely disagreed <laughs> with me that this is a Dig deck. So uh, basically, the the thing I did with this deck is that I run uh, some core cards for Meshran support in. Uh, early games such as Call to Action, Ikaru, uh, Meshran itself, Elder Four, and Roden Problem. But I I don't know I don't run uh every single card that have interaction with Meshran in this deck. So for example, I do not run the uh three calls three three that summon the Elder Wood on this. Uh, so the generic game plan is that uh we just play Meshran to survive through the early game. Uh, so. Uh, we didn't. Uh, we don't run any units. Uh, between two codes to four codes, and starting from five codes, uh, we uh, we put some good unit that have interaction with uh reselection effect such as Rutot, uh, Blood of Isas, uh, Chromiosaur, and then uh, we just put a bunch of big unit into our deck, and. The the deck spell I choose for the deck is Glacier Tongue, Second Chance, Job Soul, and Ancient Rise. And the new Job of Soul is uh, actually pretty decent when combining with Root Hot and Blood, Blood of Isad because uh, uh, the effect of Blood of Isad is actually triggers on summon. So not only you will get a really big uh, dashing unit. With Jar Soul, you will also draw your measurement back back to your hand, uh, which which is also a very good value. And then uh, we have a bunch of the legend unit, uh, which also see buffed uh, in patch one one four. For example, Molten Rust is a really good protective unit, and Tiamat is a very good active aggressive play with removal uh, potential. And uh. I play this deck for around 50 games. It does not feel super strong at the level of Iris and Mira, but it feels really, really interesting to play. So uh, Bacon completely disagree with me that this is not a dick deck. <laughs> uh, for so. th for that's, that's not entirely accurate. I even said before we started, I, I slightly amend my position. It is a dig deck. 
I hate that it is technically a dig deck because it has second chance, glacial tomb, jar souls, and like ancient's rise, and it is horic. So like it is a horic deck that does all of these grave revival synergies. I dislike it so much because it just like there's no mid game here. There's no like mid rangey units. Like you don't run Steam Knight. You don't have any like tireless iteration or Scarabot or Temple Watch, Rumbo, Earth Golem. And it's like it's just focused on like all of the like combos, which I mean is that's a good way to do it. But uh that's not that's not how I like to play dig. Like I always yeah. feel like my big innovations with Horik is like finding ways to lower the curve without actually sacrificing late game. And this is just like the complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, it's a Scythus deck, so you have to run some sort of combo and janky thing. I I just cannot control, but <sighs> that, still, that is very... how this that's how it works. Gotta have some janky but, shit. Yeah, janky shit is actually more enjoyable comparing to stable bacon decks. If you ask me. <laughs> I will I will say like the stable bacon deck like, I have profited immensely from the Rumbo change, because Rumbo has got some whack shit. Okay, so at, like, three-cost units that are good with Rumbo, we can run Iron Shell, Old Hoogie, Oliphant, Scarabot, and Temple Watch. And if you, like, if you only hit three mana units, all of these are good enough to summon off of Ancient's Rise that I think, like, it's worth it for the side benefits you get with Rumbo. Rumbo is really cool, because Rumbo has a death effect that plays a unit, which means anytime we trigger it, we just get to play units. You can play Rumbo on 5, they kill it, and then you can just rise from scrap for a 4-mana deal for play a 3-cost unit. You can play Rumbo with Jar of Souls to get a free unit. You can do Rebirth with Rumbo if they leave it on board. You can smack something with Rumbo, and then Rebirth, get a 3-cost unit. It's it's so good, I love Rumbo. What else is there? Oh yeah, freaking, uh, Sidious, you'll get a kick out of this Phoenix Plume into Rumbo. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just free board so like they have to dust it immediately but like it's hard to deal with because like if you chomp it that goes even you could play righteous but it still has it's still a four six for five with guards and like that's not a bad stat line so like it still kind of eats whatever you trade into it with righteous you could do something with lightning vial but uh how are you going to answer my eclipse or old fogey yeah, I think the biggest difference is that it's it's actually a lot more difficult to kill it with Lightning Vial right now, uh, even if you choose to do so. So uh, before they buff it, uh, your your Iris opponent can really just bunk into your Rumble and play Lightning Vial, and you are super sad. But it's no longer the case right now. Like if they have an have an anti board, uh, if you if you run a low curve Horridic, uh, which means you will be having some uh, early gain, early gain board presence. Uh, it it's possible that you can win the board against the the iris. So if they really have an empty board right now and they have to kill just a rumble, it's it's actually not that easy. If, even if they have lightning bell right now, so the yeah. buff is actually helping the rumble a lot. Yeah. yeah. I want to say, like, Rumbo is kind of a nostalgic card for me, because, like, the first tournament I ever played in for Skyweaver, Rumbo actually carried me a lot. It was just yeah. a, uh, it was only a 4-4 at the time, 
but uh, I was playing a very different deck, so I had like Oliphant and Sabletooth, and uh, basically <laughs> I kept pulling this out of my opponents. You'd kill Rumbo, and then I'd have guess what another unit, and they'd be like, "Well, damn, now I gotta kill this," and then they'd kill it and go, "Guess what, another unit." <laughs> it was just walling <laughs> yeah. them. And I'm really happy that we we are seeing more and more a uh, good five codes and six codes unit in again because yeah uh, we didn't we didn't really have a lot of them like in last year but this year and it actually forced you to make choices like uh there are so many good cards right now so for example if you just want to run a single five codes card you have to choose between loot hog and rumble right now I know you will say that why not just we, we just run both, right? But if you uh, look at your deck, uh, when I try to build a completely new deck, uh, I try to add every card that I think will see feed into the deck uh, uh, at the first place. And usually this will make the deck see uh, 30 cards limit. And I start to remove the, the cards that I think is weaker comparing to other cards. And... Uh, I am seeing myself uh, making more tough decisions right now because there are just a lot of good cards uh, after they buff it with page 114. So uh, even so, you may want to run both Ruhawk and uh, Rumble in your dig deck. There will be times that you are forced to remove one of them because you just have to run so much card in your, your dig, dig right now. For example, uh, Baker mentioned a lot of free cost unit, so you probably want to run uh, Vanessa and New Temple Watch, Old Foggy and Scarabot uh, in current version of the game, and that's already a lot of free cost unit. And eventually, uh, it will force you to remove more cards if you want to keep your deck uh, legal, which means you can only put 30 cards into your deck. and that will enforce your thinking process in deck building, which I think is very uh, instructive during uh, the career of all the card game players. So I really like that. Yeah. Hey, I just had a wild idea. What do y'all think about Earth Horic? I played an Earth Metal Horic for a little while that I really liked. Uh, I think Earth Horic's strong. There's some really good cards out there. You know, with the addition of... Um, Band together, Arceloth gets a lot of work done in Earth Horic. Um, the new Elephant is really good. There's there's a lot that can be done. You can do just straight Earth Horic, and you know Redwood can carry you through the first few turns. Um, you know Clawbear's there. It's a strong deck that is possible to go single element. But if you throw in metal with it, I think it's uh, you know playable at high level. What uh, metal cards do you throw in? I'm looking at uh, building it right now. Because I was looking through, like, we've got, like, the new Rumbo. It can also search for a jungle guide. Funnily enough, Ephralomurray pairs really well with a Nurtured Bond because it just, like, puts an extra, what do you call it, Earth card in your hand. I was also thinking, like, for finisher options, you have, like, Mushka Empty the Undercroft. And, like, I, I love, like, my big Timmy wombo combos like that yeah well if you're yeah. asking me what metal cards that you go into it probably steam knights uh reinforce yeah. heavy cavalry perhaps if you have more metal sonic jammer is always good um depending on your top end you might throw in 
you know, beefer, chromiosaurs. But I would definitely start with like steam knights going in there and um, just a few few little pieces. You can throw in a small armist package with medic, sentinel, and uh, Altran or something. Ooh. That's yeah. cool. I'm gonna have or to Eclipse. Look at this. Because, like, you can even use the uh, mech shroom for, like, food chain or, uh, how just draw engine. <laughs> yeah. I think it's definitely possible to build one, but, uh, um, the core of the elemental deck is usually Grizzman, and Grizzman is actually a bit worse on Earth comparing to metal. So the first reason is that most of the metal units come with armor, and plus one plus one is just gen uh just stronger on the unit with armor comparing to the unit without. And also, uh, the uh, a lot of Earth units in Horik actually come with decent state already on their body so adding another plus one plus one uh even so it's always better to have additional state on your body but uh since they already have decent state even before the buff the impact is not so big comparing to for example our metal unit um also if you play something like jungle guide uh its synergy is just better with metal because yeah, the, uh, the yeah, attachment the spell. Issue. But yeah, still, it, it's a possibility. Also, yeah, that's the one thing I don't really like about Jungle Guide is that he really only works for one element, even though his effect is supposed to be for any element. Yeah, but I think uh, the new focus unit, uh, already hard brawler, uh, it probably was a lot better uh, in Earth deck. Uh, because uh, itself can be buffed with Gruisman, which will make it a four cost four seven, which is really hard to remove. And uh, the attachment spell do have some interaction with metal, but even if you just run Earth, it's not a worse spell in in the game. So hmm. I might have to experiment with this. Yeah. Oh, another aspect to consider is that. You, you actually have a lot of Inspire Earth effect in Horvick right now. Uh -huh. Also, you have more than... I, I believe you have more than 50 Earth cards in Horvick, but you don't have as much metal cards in Horvick, which means you will be have a richer choice between cards in Earth Horvick. Yeah. I was honestly looking at this and thinking... like uh, It was like the rumbo change that provoked this, but... uh. Jungle Guide, I think, could benefit a lot from having Mechstrom as a partner. Because, like, uh, Jungle Guide, like, if you don't play the Impale, it's a 3-mana 2-4 that buffs your hand a bit. And that's, like, I mean, it's good. Yeah. But, like, if you have, like, a beefy Mechstrom that you can develop with that for just one mana, then, like, that's really handy. Because, uh, like, it just it brings the net play up a lot. And, of yeah. course, you know, you can do stuff like Blood of Yixaf. We might be able to run tune up here, which would be great because that means you know glorious main, uh, jungle guide synergies. Yeah. Hmm. I could have sworn that, like I've seen somebody else doing this too. I think it was Puza. I don't know. They're probably well, about to accuse me of plagiarism. I I actually ran into Earth Titus this week, but I I, I didn't run into any Earth Solric. But um, oh shoot! Yeah, checking uh -huh. those cards. I think. It's probably it's probably playable. 
Yeah. Before but... we wrap up, we should probably discuss uh like the patch now that like we've had a while to play with it because uh I I feel like somebody should say something about like Undragon and Amaruaf and Dracomantium. <laughs> the concept of buffing these units is very good. The execution of buffing these units leaves something to be desired. <laughs> As a very kind way of putting it. Undragon, I don't think, got any noticeable buff and was probably actually nerfed because it had great synergies with a lot of like other cards that could uh, cheat it out quicker. Uh, things like Draco Impact or Everwhale, which was also nerfed. Just like all of that, it's worse with it. And Undragon, like, he doesn't actually respond to his counters any better because, like, you know, Cloth Wipe still eliminates your board. And yeah, you gain 5 points of healing, but it's a 10 mana card, so that doesn't actually help too much. Amavraf probably just needs, like, a few more stats on the uh, buff effect, like if it gave allies plus 2 health for the rest of the game, or if it even gave your hero some immediate healing, that would be very handy. Dracomantium, Sidus, what's your take? on uh, this guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think this is playable. I tried to make it work, but... Uh, yeah. I tried the holding home combo we just mentioned last, last episode, and also Sonic Signals. So uh, I tried to uh, trick my deck so that the plus two Kozang spell is not actually 100% uh, worse, but... It's still very very unstable, and yeah. it probably it it's probably too easy to kill. Consider that we have already spent ten mana on it. Maybe if uh it has a slightly better state, this will be playable. But six six, I mean, no. I yeah, won't. six 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 just ain't vibing. Yeah. I had one idea with the deck. That was so brilliant, I actually kept it to myself, and unfortunately the deck just straight up did not work. I'm going to name two other cards, and you are immediately going to croak that you didn't think of this sooner. Mawworm, Breach the Gates. Think about it. Hmm. So, here's the idea. Dracomantium gives my hero armor. Armor is really good on your hero, but only if you have a lot of health, because armor only shaves off damage per instance. If you're still dead and a couple big hits, uh, basically you play a 10 mana unit to gain like 3 health. Great. Uh, so what do we need? We need a big pile of health to sit that armor on top of, because armor just magnifies your health. Mawworm is an amazing healing option in heart. It can heal, like, if you have 20 units in your deck, then you play Mawworm and you heal, like, 19 health. That is a ton. If you only have 7 units in your discard pile, which is very easy, Mawworm heals as much as Libra with a better stat line without the condition. However, Heart is the token prism. Heart has got a gazillion ways to actually, like, just vomit units into its discard pile. It's very good at doing that. So, what do we have that can actually produce a lot of units? Well, what immediately comes to mind is a uh, Zomboid cards, you know, Call of the Dead, uh, Grimstone, and most notoriously, Breach the Gates. Now, Breach the Gates is a special card, because every time you play it, it will shuffle back into your deck. It starts at two costs, and it plays a Zomboid 
where it plays a number of Zomboid equal to the card's cost. So the first time you play it, it plays two one twos with Wither, which is already like pretty good. Third time you play it, or second time you play it, it'll be three costs, so you get three, whatever. What I noticed, and this actually came from your comment, Sidus, Dracomantium's cost increase to spells is not necessarily a disadvantage. Because if you're running Breach the Gates, Dracomantium lets you skip the earlier, less impactful place with Breach the Gates and go straight to the bigger ones. If you, you probably want to play it like two very early, but most of the time when I see people use this card, they kind of just play it once at the start of the game, and maybe a second time. If you play Dracomantium between the, uh, like, we'll say three cost and four cost uses, uh, the card goes up to like five or six cost, which gets it a whole lot closer to getting its big win condition. It also means that you start playing a lot more units quicker, which makes it much easier to actually develop a like big maw worm and just heal yourself a ton while you are burning the opponent while you are ramping towards breach the gates for your win condition so on and so forth unfortunately this as great as this all sounds it doesn't really work because dracomantium was just too bad but uh if it ever does i think it might actually be like a really toxic deck which makes me think that maybe one of these cards should be changed if we intend on all of them being viable yeah, so if you look at the purpose of keeping your allies' armor, <clears throat> this usually means uh you try uh you try to gain more value and especially defensive value, uh in the later stage of the game, and since it already comes with ten codes and it's a play effect, which means you have no way to cheat it, uh it usually means you have to build a control deck, and if you build a control deck you probably need to place more spell into your deck uh, to be able to survive into the late game. And now you see the contradiction because uh, the Dracomantian itself does not really help you to finish, finish the game. Uh, it just helps you to prolong the game. And in the, uh, in the pro prolonged part of, the, of your game, uh, your Armors on your hero will, will be contributing to a lot of value. But uh, you, you will still draw spells, which you, you, you probably have plenty of if you build a control deck in the later stage uh -huh. of the game. Yeah. Also, the main issue is that uh, the concept you just described is, uh, is, sounds very well, actually. But uh, it requires a lot of mana. And... Uh -huh. Yeah, even even I play Exo, which is uh probably better at ramping comparing to Horik. Um, mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to cast. <laughs> yeah, to bridge no. the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of this. This is why I always get very skeptical whenever like people start describing like their immense knowledge of the game or whatever, and they start going into like these very abstract theoretical arguments. You can make anything sound good in theory. I just told you guys like the game breaking combo with Dracomantium and how it was going to like be so toxic to the meta because it's like so defensive and so much armored health or whatever that like we should probably change cards preemptively. But like it, it takes evidence to like actually understand what you're talking about. And uh yeah. <laughs> no, the meta the meta is just really aggressive and burny right now. Dracomantium doesn't really help against any of those things. It kind of just gets developed. Usually against Iris, it just gets gustoed away. 
And there's no way that you can avoid the downside either. Like, I really tried to build a Horic deck that, like, could basically play all of its spells before playing Dracomantium. Even if you do that, the way that you have to mutilate your deck building to actually get to a point where you can play no spells in the late game, it's just not good. And, like, even if it was, you went through all of that, like, restriction for what? Probably about an extra five points of health on your hero. You could have played a two-mana spell for the same effect. So, uh, the good news is that uh, every other dragon that have not yet been mentioned by dragon, uh, by, by bacon, is actually good after yes. the patch. Yes, the patch is a net win for dragons. So, uh, maybe we can start from Cosmet. Uh, Brain Handle, you are the one who played a few Iris. Do you run Cos new Carmat in your Iris deck? No. Comet oh. in my Iris? No, no. I I haven't I haven't played Comet yet. Um I don't think I've played what? any of the dragons, uh, even once, or really even gone against them in any of the games I played. Never seen Dracomantium. Still see uh Meng Long, but um I, I haven't even run into Gusto. Oh. See, I've seen a lot of those in the Iris decks. I feel like Comet is a natural inclusion, because, like, they already run a whole rainbow of cards for, like, their Singin' Secrets, Menglong, and all of that. But, like, Comet is nasty with Biker, because it has that shield attached. Yeah, Comet is actually very, very impactful, even comparing to its previous form. I, I think a lot of players would possibly prefer the attachment spell on crossmat but <laughs> after after they uh, they change it with patch one one four this actually become a very very strong mid range unit if we call a cause a mid range but it have the vibe of a mid range unit and when my opponent play crossmat it's very very impactful so uh it don't it don't it does not have god and but it does provide some sort of life deal and um even so the the game is probably close to finish uh due to their hero have uh, low heals if you cannot kill it in your next turn you always have to worry about the massive lifestyle potential that will come uh during like their next turn which possibly mean you will not be able to kill them in your uh next next turn so you have to find a way to deal with the Kramet. And I mean, six nine with shell is not easy to kill for most no. of the aggressive deck. Yeah, so it's very very impactful right now. Uh, which uh, I think it is pretty healthy for the game because you you have to find a way which means more interaction. It's just not yeah. a guard unit that's sitting there anymore. Uh, it does not have a guard, but you still have to find a way to deal with it. Yeah, it used to be that Ensnare kind of just spat on Comet. Now I feel like it's the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> like, Aggro <laughs> has got very few tools to deal with a Comet on 8. Which I yeah. think is good. Like, getting all 8 elements in your discard pile on, like, turn 8, it's not something that you can reliably do. And, like, you actually have to kind of build your deck intelligently to get there. And even then, Comet does not have guard. So, like, you know, have better units. Yeah. Uh, on a side note, uh, since uh, the 
the effect of no pseudo best is changed from summon to play effect, uh, which means you cannot uh, cheat it with Warden's Command or Drinkering anymore. Uh, I actually have seen some play uh, from my opponent's side that they Drinkering into Crossmat and they just give out on the play effect. And they hmm. essentially just spend 6 mana for a 6 9 unit with Shield, Lifesteal, and Wizard, which is uh, which actually sounds that's, not bad. That's still really good. Yeah, yeah, I would main deck that. Yeah, it's a good tempo play. Well, I don't know if you can say it's a good tempo play when you're talking about six mana. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I have I have a, a tempo article that, like, I've been working on for, like, about a month now. I want to get, like, really analytical with it. Because I want to try and make, like, these uh really advanced, like, graphs and things. But anyways, what is the cutoff for, like, when a card stops being, like, a tempo play? Like, when does that happen? Because, like, sure, sh I, I mean, think about it. Like, would anybody say that buffer is a tempo play? No, it's 10 mana. Are you shitting me? But, uh, I mean, you look at, like, how much it does for its mana cost, and, like, I feel like any rational definition of tempo is kind of, you take the value of the card, you divide it by its mana cost, and whenever, like, you start getting into the uh, wacky range, that's when you have, like, really good tempo plays. So by, like, that understanding, unless you want to say that, like, there's some multiplier in the mana cost or something, or, like, you have to really have a lot more value for that much mana, then uh, it seems to me like a lot of very expensive, not good tempo cards should actually be like tempo cards i think tempo is generally in my brain a matter of comparing it to what your opponent can do a good tempo card accomplishes more than you can expect them to do in return so maybe a six mana you know six nine or, or nine six is a good tempo play because you're not expecting them to pull that much stats out of six mana themselves they might be able to so when you're pulling out you know, 3-3 three, three with dash for 2, that can be good tempo because your opponent doesn't have the means to match it on their level of tempo. Yeah, I, I hesitate to use that notion because I feel like that's a very unintuitive idea of tempo. And it also, like, that starts to conflate tempo with cards that are just straight up broken. Which I don't think are the same thing. Like, if you talk about tempo as merely being producing, like, stats, say, outside of the first standard deviation, that's how I think we should be classifying, like, broken cards. Like, I think that there should be, like, a standard deviation of uh, how much value cards can produce on a given turn. And things that fall outside of whatever cutoff we want to use, those cards are busted. Because, like, that's, that fundamentally, like, that's what unbalances the game. But, like, okay, so take a spell example. Fire Rune. Fire Rune is, like, the god king of tempo plays in Skyweaver. It is one mana, it is banner, you get the full effect, you are giving a ally unit plus one, plus one, you are drawing a one-cost card, it does a whole lot of things for, like, very little mana. Is Fire Rune a busted card? I don't think so. It's very good. I don't think it's busted, you know? Yeah, but uh, 
I will say uh, Firewind has its tempo part and also value part because I will call drawing a one cost card a value play instead of a tempo play. But uh, putting plus one plus one on one of your unit is definitely a tempo play. Well, uh, even... remember that uh, the way I'm defining tempo here is its value over uh, mana is basically whatever the tempo is. And I don't mean value in a strict numerical sense. I mean, basically, so like you can convert mana for utility. Uh, think back to like the linear model I described earlier, where you have so many coefficients that actually prescribe your ability to win a game. Value is basically just increasing the x's that assign to those coefficients. So the more cards you have, that's increasing that x that we use for number of cards a player has that uh, determines their likelihood of winning a game. Value is all the things that improve those things, and then however much it improves, that's the coefficient, and so on and so forth. All of that is basically value. And anytime you play a card that has a mana cost, what you're doing is you're converting a set resource, mana, for a variable resource, value. So uh, tempo is then just how efficiently you're converting your like mana for value. If you're converting it very inefficiently, even if you get a lot of value, it's not a good tempo play. Which is like, it's how we can say things like Titanic is a very good value play, but not a good tempo play. Because even if like you go plus six with Titanic, uh, you still spent 10 mana. Okay. Clearly, I need to finish this article. <laughs> yeah, if you don't stop, I guess we have to stop you, because even though <laughs> I would really like to have more constructive description. Uh, if we go deeper into it, maybe it will be an endless discussion in this episode. I'm just ripping my hair out over here. What do the words mean? What's the coefficient? Ah! <laughs> Me, IRL. <laughs> oh, it'll make more sense in, like, paper form. Yeah, it'll be great to be able to see and, and uh, re reference back to what you're saying so we can not get lost. It was... Um... You know, a lot of info. Thank you for going into it, and maybe we'll review it once it's written down. Um, anything else you think is really important to bring up uh, right now in the meta or what you're playing or, or what things are going on past the changes we've already talked about, Cytus? Are there something we're missing right now? I think we have to give Cryogen a spot be before we end this episode. Okay. Yes. Uh, so uh, one thing I like about the cryogen uh, is actually similar to Crossmed. So uh, I think after after they apply all the changes to the dragons, uh, notably they change all the summon effect into player effect. Uh, I still want to see some ways to uh, you you can choose to play uh, these dragons not from your hand but from some spell effect, for example, Dream Calling. And if you choose to do so, uh, you will do the play effect part of this card, but you still get a very good state because uh, almost all the dragons see above on their state line. And I think uh, Crossmat and Quilogen is two uh, iconic examples of you can drink calling into this guy without triggering their uh, play effect. And you, you still get pretty good state line. So uh, if you play Crossmat, we just mentioned it's a six mana six nine with Shout Wizard and Lifesteal, and uh, if you do so in Banjo, uh, you can drink Corrin into Cryogen, which means you spend uh, 
six mana for the eight eight steel armor body, uh, which is not a, uh, I I would say it's still very very good uh, hit for drinking, and if you hard cast strike uh, quadrant from your hand, uh, you immediately attach frostbite to all of the enemies, and this is very scary. Uh, uh, if you run banjo, uh, you will have access to a lot of labs. And Quadrants will buff your lives from dealing one lifesteal damage to grouping three lifesteal damage per lab, and it's crazy. And if you run something like CT, uh, you will be having a lot of longboy, and it will buff your longboy damage from one to three, which is also pretty crazy. And you often have no way to uh, actually stop this effect from launching because it's now the play effect, uh, which means Quadrant. Uh, a thread that cannot be like neck glad right now. And I have run into Quadrant in a couple of games, and uh, even if I have immediately a uh, hard removal for it, I am still feeling gigantic pressure because it, uh, usually I will have to pay for to remove the frost spite on my hero, and I have to remove. <laughs> The Quadrant, for a real reason, is a, a Steel Summer with a 6 Sunrise effect. And that usually means I have to spend all my mana to do so. So uh, even if I am ahead and threatening to end again uh, <clears throat> against my opponent, I have to just stop here for the turn in order to uh, survive uh, with the Frostbite attack to my, to my hero. So. In the worst case, usually my opponent will be able to buy a turn for then. So uh, it seems pretty, pretty decent right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go back down the rabbit hole, but next week I want you guys to answer me on whether or not Cryogen is a good tempo play. Precisely <laughs> because of having to spend four mana to get rid of the Frostbite. Like, if you okay. just do subtraction... It's a five mana eight eight stealth armor. If if like you just subtract out the cost, but is that how it works? No. Okay, Blinkendo, I have a suggestion. Oh no. Okay, go maybe, for it. <laughs> maybe we don't invite Bacon in the next episode. <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll answer the question. We won't just not let him respond to the answer. <laughs> okay. So I like the other fun. forms of bullying better. This is too cruel. <laughs> Bacon, do you want to wrap up this episode? Handle? I'm drawing a blank. What do you mean by wrap up? Like, just thanks y'all for coming? Yeah, unless you have something else to throw in before that. Uh, I've gone on enough tangents today. In that case, I guess that means that this is the end of the episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We all hope that you guys have a good night day life, and see y'all in sky. <laughs>